to the Velo News Podcast. I'm Fred Dreyer, Editor-in-Chief of Velo News, joined by Dane Cash. And Dane, we are in Pismo Beach, California right now. I'm going to set the scene for the listeners. We're in Pismo Beach. We're at a modestly priced hotel. The, Pretty nice. The Oxford something. Yeah, and it's sweets. And we're, we're sitting right next to the hot tub. Yeah, this is Hot Tub Pod Machine. Yeah, that's us. Uh, we're in California for the Amgen Tour of California. We had stage two today. That was the stage from Ventura to Gibraltar Road. We saw some great action on the 3,400-foot climb or so to Gibraltar Road. And we're here all week because some of the best cyclists in the world are here. And on today's show, we're going to talk about all sorts of things. Amgen Tour of California, Giro d'Italia, uh, some of the riders that we've been able to talk to, Dane. Dane, you talked to Egan Bernal. I did. Chatted with Egan Bernal, yeah. Before we get into it, like, what's your, what was your first impression of Egan Bernal? Bright. Mm. Kid's smart. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's very intelligent. Uh, that's really my first impression that I came away with was uh, this kid is going places and he has the, the brain to match the legs, I think, which is pretty cool. Interesting. I'll yeah. tell you where he's going. He's going uphill fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he won on Gibraltar Road today. I've had the chance to talk to a lot of people, uh, esteemed uh, figureheads from USA Cycling, uh, Brandon McNulty from Rally Pro Cycling. We're going to hear from Sepp Cuss, Tom Scoinch, all sorts of fan, uh, all sorts of great fan favorite cyclists. So before we get to anything, Dane, let's talk about the action today. Break it down for me. What happened on Gibraltar Road? Yeah, uh, the uh, the race started out as expected. Breakaway got away early. Uh, three three dudes who got caught a little earlier than I think they would have wanted before the real action on Gibraltar Road. So then it was up to uh, it was up to the peloton to to kick it off on Gibraltar Road. BMC was up there, and then just Sky hit the front with Tail Gegenhart, and he was just shelling people out the back from pretty early on the climb. People were starting to fall off the back. Uh, Egan Bernal jumped away with, I think, 2K to go, roughly, on the very steep Gibraltar Road. Uh, Lotto NL's Antoine Tolhook made a, a brave attempt to get up there. Couldn't is it, quite is it do bad it. bad that I thought that that was Sepkus? Yeah, I thought it was, too, because we, we didn't get his name right away. Couldn't see the number on the back, and we just assumed, oh, it's got to be Sepkus. Not nah, Antoine Tolhook. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, yeah, Bernal was just gone. Nobody was catching him. Uh, nice ride by Raphael Mike and Adam Yates to keep it relatively modest, the gap. TJ Van Garderen up there. I think he was eighth. Uh, but, yeah, Egan Bernal definitely rode away with it today on Gibraltar Road. Definitely the strongest guy out there on the hard climb today. Yeah, and I think we have to say he looks pretty poised to win the overall. We don't know how he will perform on the pan-flat time trial on stage four. That's going to be an interesting test for him. But he really seems like he's the strongest guy here. Yeah, and... He doesn't seem to really know what to expect in the time trial either, and neither does his sports director. I chatted with uh, Oliver Cookson from Sky. I asked him, hey, who can you compare this kid to? Like, who, 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 which of the big Grand Tour stars now uh, do you think he could be a, a good comparable? And Cookson said, you know, ask me after the time trial, because we just have no idea what to expect. He is the Colombian time trial champion. Uh, he's a lot better at the time trial than I think many people expect of, like, a Colombian mountain goat. I think there's sort of a... 
you initially think, oh, Colombian climber, they're bad at time trials. I don't think that's Egan Bernal. I think he's actually pretty competent against the clock. But people just don't know because he's so young and we haven't had that much data on him yet. So we'll see. So I think this is a really interesting point here, Dane. And this is kind of an exciting moment for the Amgen Tour of California. So we have this really talented rider, Egan Bernal. He's won the climbing stage. Everyone, everyone looks at this guy and is like, he is going to do amazing things in pro cycling. Yeah. He's pretty young. He's 21 years old. He um, has already won a time trial uh, Tour de Romandie, but this yeah. is his first World Tour road race win, and we could be seeing his first World Tour stage race win yeah. too, which would make a really interesting chapter in a guy who, you know, some people think has the potential to win a Grand Tour. Yeah, he was at uh, Colombia Oro Pass earlier this year, which is this new race in Colombia. They've attracted a bunch of Colombian talents down to that race. It's a 2.1, but they did manage to get like Nairo Quintana, Rigoberto Uran, and Egan Bernal won that race. And then he goes to Catalonia, comes really close to finishing second, and he crashes out. Uh, Ramadi, he was second overall after a great time trial. But to be able to keep it going through a whole week, that's, that's another level. And I think we could, yeah, that's a really exciting storyline to come out of California. This is a race that, yeah, you know, the GC field here is usually, it's okay. But we don't often have guys who could you know, go on to be Grand Tour stars. And there's a lot of hype around this kid. People have been talking about his sports directors have been talking about him. And some of the VO2 max numbers that they've been seeing are just crazy awesome. And so to have that here in California and, and possibly have that be his first GC win, of course, we don't know yet. Who, who knows? You know, it's still half the race to go. But that's a pretty cool storyline. It is. And, you know, Colombia has obviously been putting out really top-level cyclists over the last five to seven years with Nairo Quintana, guys like Esteban Chavez. I think the interesting thing here with uh, Egan Bernal is that he is a few years younger than these guys. Yeah. So he seems to represent almost the newer generation of Colombian stars coming out. And he has an interesting background, too, because he was a mountain biker. Yeah. In fact, Dane, tell, all right, tell the story. Tell about his mountain bike race. Yeah, so uh, he's got a cool little story just about how he came to cycling. His father was a cyclist, couldn't quite cut it as a pro, but, you know, he was sort of in that kind of semi-pro level. But he passed on his love of cycling to his son, Egon. And uh, Egon did his first race at age eight, had to borrow some pesos to, do the, to get the sign-in fee, uh, I think his dad just wasn't keen on him racing. He said, yeah, we had the money, but my dad just didn't want me to do it, basically. Yeah. Had to borrow a helmet as well, because he didn't have one of those. And uh, apparently the helmet was just way too big. So it was so big, it came down over his eyes. He couldn't see anything, and he didn't even know when the race was over. So he looks up and like, oh, I just won the race. I, I guess it's over now. And that was it. That was how it started. He said it was, it was all, at, you know, all started from that. And he's kind of come a long way from that. He was a mountain biker, big mountain biking guy, did Junior Worlds. I think he got uh, two medals, maybe, maybe bronze and a silver. And that's when uh, Johnny Savio of Androni Giacatoli, uh -huh. the pro continental team, sort of kind of caught wind of this talented kid and said, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to snatch that, that guy up. Signed him, and he just had big success with, uh, with Androni Giacatoli. And then Johnny Savio cashed in on that, basically realized, you know, I can get a lot of money if I allow Sky or Movistar to get in a little bidding war here. And uh, they did. Sky kicked a, a development fee, I believe, was the terminology they used over at Androni. And then they signed into a world tour contract. So he kind of came from mountain biking. Nobody really knew or still even knows what kind of road potential he has because he's only been doing it for a couple of years. He's still so young, 21. 
but yeah, I mean, early returns are pretty promising. Oh man, that's such a Gianni Savio story. Yeah, yeah. The Silver Fox. He's always on the lookout. He is. He uh, more than anyone has recruited and developed top South American talent and steered them towards the upper echelon of yeah. pro cycling. Sometimes with uh, catastrophic yeah. outcomes. I think some of these Argentine and uh, Colombian guys from 10, 11 years ago who Savio was finding, um, they were sort of like doper era Giro d'Italia all-stars where you'd see them like win the hardest stage of the Giro by m- multiple minutes yeah. and always wonder to yourself, huh. Yeah, it was, I think it's a good thing that Egon Bernal got out of there. Yeah. Not like he went to a team that has a sparkling reputation this year. Yeah. But uh, Androni has had some issues, I think, in the past. So, yeah. So, Egan Bernal, he is, you know, let's say, hypothetically, let's say he goes on to win the Amgen Tour of California. Um, that's got to be a big confidence booster because he injured himself earlier this year. You know, he had this great spring, winning Oro Paz, looked super strong, and then he crashed, and I believe he broke his shoulder, perhaps it was the collarbone, yeah. and was out for a while. Yep. And let's say he comes back, wins the Tour of California. You know, do you think that means he'll get a start at the Tour de France? Does this mean something for the Vuelta? What do you yeah. see the rest of 2018 looking like for Bernal? So we talked a little bit about that. Uh, I asked Bernal what he was expecting for the rest of the year, and he said the plan is either Dauphiné or Tour de Suisse, hmm. not the Tour, uh, but from the beginning of the year, the team has talked about maybe doing the Vuelta, depending on how things go. And obviously, things are going pretty well. So I think if he stays healthy, if he continues to ride well, obviously if he wins toward California, I think he's got a nice chance of riding the Vuelta. On the other hand, and I talked to both Bernal about this and Cookson as well, um, both of them seemed, uh, they weren't rushing things. You know, Bernal didn't seem like he wanted to rush into anything. Cookson said that the sky was going to give him his, his chance when, when they thought that it was the best time. So if they decide towards the end of the year that the Vuelta isn't going to be great for him, he might not race it. I don't know. Bernal himself said he likes to kind of, he likes to do things well or not at all. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want to go to the Vuelta just to suffer. He said, I don't just want to go there and get dropped all the time. So the Vuelta is sort of on the plan if things go well, and that would be his first Grand Tour appearance ever if he, if he can go to the Vuelta. So that's Interesting. possibly on the calendar. All right. Well, keep your eyes open for Egan Bernal. Dan, I'm not going to lie. I really want to get in this hot tub right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little chilly, but... <laughs> it's very inviting, but yeah. uh, listeners of the podcast, take note, we're professional podcasters. Yeah. We're just going to look at the jacuzzi right now. We're not actually going to get into it. Yeah. Uh, maybe afterwards. So there's a number of other riders that we have our eyes on here to win the uh, MG Tour California. You know, BMC looked super strong in the lower parts of Gibraltar today, they had a number of guys on the front. I think um, Brent Bookwalter was setting the pace for a while. And they looked, you know, they're obviously trying to set up TJ Van Garderen. And TJ has won this race. I believe he won it in 2013. And yeah. you know what? That was kind of his last big stage race win. And TJ's a guy that we've talked a lot about in uh, Velo News because he's, you know, an American star, twice winner of the young... Best Young Riders jersey at the Tour de France. He's kind of the guy that we anointed to be the next great American rider. And in recent years, you know, he's struggled with confidence issues. He's had stage wins. He's had great results. Then he's had times where he's not been doing so great. And so I really came into this race wondering if Tour California was there to be almost like a career reset button or some type of confidence-boosting um, hurdle for him heading into the Tour de France in the last half of the season. 
TJ looked okay. I yeah. mean, he looked good on the climb. Yeah. He didn't look bad yeah. on it. It just yeah. was that Bernal looked a lot stronger than him. Um, but, you know, his performance in the time trial is definitely one we're going to watch because, you know, he's, TJ has proven himself to be very able yeah. time trialist. Um, who else do you have your eyes on for the GC? For the GC, I think Rafael Mike and Adam Yates are your two big guys. I mean, Yates, when he's healthy, and Yates is the important thing to note here, Yates is coming back from a really bad crash. Uh, he crashed, broke his pelvis. Not a good thing to break if you're a bike racer. I mean, nothing is good to break, but, like, your pelvis is really bad to it's break. It's a big old bone. Yeah, and it's pretty crucial yeah. to sitting mm, on a bike. Mm. Uh, so he's coming back from that. But when he's healthy, I think Adam Yates is the, is the best GC rider in this race. So he already looks pretty good. He's not a great time trialist, but he could if, you know, again, if he were fully healthy in that peak form, that last stage of Tahoe, too, or the penultimate stage of Tahoe could be an opportunity for him. And then Rafael Mike is a guy who has in, in the past shown really good time trialing ability. Sometimes he's not good in the time trial. It's just it, it's kind of hard to, to judge that with him. But those two guys are definitely close enough. They're both within 30 seconds, I think. Bernal, uh, you know, he's got the edge, but he doesn't have it sewn up. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think there is a possibility that those two guys and TJ with his with a good time trial could could definitely be in the mix. Anybody surprise you on Gibraltar today? I definitely that Antoine Tolhook, uh, like you said, saw him at first and I thought, oh, Sepkus. Nope, Antoine Tolhook. Uh, didn't really know much about him, so that's that's a guy who definitely surprised me. I actually asked Sepkus a little bit about that. Uh, hey, tell me who Antoine Tolhook is. So uh, maybe he can illuminate the listeners on who Anton yeah. Tolhook is. Let's yeah. hear from Sepp Here's Sepp Chris talking about the day. It's hard for me to say. I wasn't really there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, it was, it was fast. I mean, it was pretty easy the whole day. So, um, yeah, I think, yeah, Sky, when the Sky took over, they just, yeah, hit it pretty hard. So, yeah. Yeah. The legs maybe just aren't there yet, or what's the, um, what are you, like, holding you back for now? Yeah, just, just really happening. Uh, yeah, really uh, felt like myself this season for whatever reason, but uh, yeah, I'm not panicked or anything. But yeah, it'd be nice to um, be able to help out a bit more in this race or even even do well. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, you know there's still plenty of season left, so yeah, just maybe shoot for a breakaway or something or sure. help out uh, Antoine Nielsen and those guys. So yeah. yeah, can you talk a little bit about Antoine? Just tell us uh, a little bit about who he is. Yeah, yeah, super good guy, uh, yeah, incredible climber. Um, yeah, tiny little guy, but man, he he rips it uphill. So uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, I'm happy for him because he's been sidelined for a while with injury, and he was supposed to do the zero, but he had a uh, bad knee injury. So um, yeah, for him to come to this race and, and do well after only uh, you know one having done yeah. one race this year, yeah. his legs, uh, yeah, it's really incredible. So yeah, excited for him. Maybe the team shift gears now to support him for the GC. Is that sort of the plan I'd expect? Yeah, we'll yeah we'll see what the 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 gaps are, and yeah, of course the time trial is still pretty long, but uh, yeah, I think uh, I think we still have uh, definitely some options. Yeah, you expect that? You think for you personally that some of these stages coming up, you might kind of get back back on the horse and like try to be involved in those? Yeah, hopefully. I mean, uh, yeah, the Tahoe uh, stage altitude. Uh, yeah, I think that's definitely. Uh, in my wheelhouse, so yeah. maybe try for a breakaway there. But uh, yeah, first and foremost, I think just help out the GC guys and um, yeah. So that's up, Chris. Tolhook was a surprise. Uh, Daniel Martinez as well mm-hmm. from EF, another guy who's had a 
rough injury year. Yeah, Daniel Martinez is the rider that you may have read about a few weeks ago. He was on a training ride in Italy with some of his EF Education First teammates, who are also Colombian. They got in a bit of an altercation with a motorist. And as Jonathan Vodders told us the other night, the motorist stopped his car, got out, walked up to the group of cyclists, and just punched Martinez yeah. in the face. Yeah. And it was a hard punch. Yeah, like bad. Like bad. Like Martinez apparently got to the he got taken to a hospital and he made a phone call to his previous team that he had been on telling them what had happened. Yeah. Like I'm in the hospital. I've had an injury, you know, just so you know where I am and they were like, "Hey pal, yeah. you are not on this team anymore." A little bit of brain fog it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. Serious like brain cloud. Yeah. Joe versus the volcano? Not good for Daniel. Mm. No. Yeah. Yeah. But he's looking good. <laughs> He seems to be doing great. And Vodders has definitely hyped him up a little bit. Yeah. And he I, he delivered, I think. I mean, he's, still, he's a very young guy, 22. So a couple of young Colombians doing really well. Uh, and to hear Vodders tell that he's not too bad against the clock either. So maybe another rider to watch. He's currently sitting, uh, what's he, fifth overall? Sixth overall on GC. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Daniel Martinez, another guy I think that was pretty impressive today. One guy I was really interested to see uh, have a great ride today was Brandon McNulty, um, junior time trial champion from a few years ago, American, you know, young up-and-comer, only 20 years old, and Brandon rode pretty confidently, like, third, fourth wheel for most of the climb. Yeah. Uh, when Teo Gegenhart, Sky, surged on the front, you know, put in that last dig to set up Egan Bernal, Brandon got dropped, but he held tough. Yeah. He rolled across the line in 13th place, about a minute down, you know, this kid's only 20 years old. And I wrote about Brandon last year because he's this kid, you know, you can tell he has a tremendous amount of talent. But instead of signing with a World Tour team, he had the opportunity to do it. He signed with Rally Pro Cycling, which at the time was a uh, continental team. They've gone pro-continental since then. But there was all of this, like, conversation, like, what is this kid doing? He's not going to the World Tour. He's missing his opportunity. He's choosing to, you know, stay in race in the USA. And... He had an interesting mentality on it, as did uh, Rally. And the whole mentality was like, you know, we don't want to put pressure on him. We want to let his talent um, develop naturally. We want him to do races that are a little bit lower level where he can learn the ins and outs of racing, but not tax his body. And basically what they were saying, we want to avoid a situation where a young and talented American burns out too soon and leaves the sport, which, yeah. which, which we've, we've seen. Happens. Yeah. yeah. Yep. I mean, most recently we said it saw with Adrian Costa. We all hope he returns to the sport. Uh, but, you know, there's a long history of talented American riders, you know, maybe being a little too ambitious too soon. And I caught up with Brandon and talked to him about this. So let's hear what uh, old McNulty had to say about this balancing act. Was there anything that surprised you about the style of racing over there, the level of racing, anything about the racing experience that, you know, that really surprised you? Um, not to say it was easy, but I was surprised at how easy the races are most of the day and then how hard they are for the last 10K. Like, yeah, the first, you know, three hours, it would just be like coffee shop ride, cruising, and then 10, 15K to go, it's like... If you even touch the wind, you're doing 800 watts, just going backwards. So it was pretty, pretty cool to see how the, the sprint days play out, because we don't really have too much of those in, in the junior races or the races I've done prior to that. So yeah, that was, it was cool to watch. You know, the 
the best guys go at work, go, go do their work. <laughs> uh, did you feel like you belonged? Yeah, I think, especially after the you know the breakaway, I definitely had a bit more respect among a lot of the World Tour guys, a lot of guys like you know patting my back kind of thing. So that was really cool. Yeah, every race I feel more and more comfortable, less and less starstruck. I guess the first day was like, oh yeah, there's these guys I've been watching since I was 12. Now I'm racing with, but yeah, it's really cool. What are your expectations here? I I don't really have too many, you know, expectations. Like no pressure on myself. I just want to see how good I can go tomorrow, and then do the best TT I can, and then hopefully that ends up with a GC result and. You know, if tomorrow I fall flat a little bit, then refocus to the TT and then help Rob the rest of the week because he's riding pretty incredibly right now as well. So, yeah, we have, we're have we in a pretty good situation, I think. So, one of the storylines that we've talked about since our first interview and since, you know, my first team come to come into team camp a year and change ago is it's been, like, the topic of pressure, which has been like, all right, we got this kid who's pretty talented. How do we have him progress in a way where not put a ton of pressure on him and sort of like letting you know letting you develop your talent in a way where you you know you don't feel like oh my god I need to go win this race or else whatever Um, but now that you're having some of these results and people are noticing you and people are coming up and talking to you is that putting any more pressure on you how is that is that changing I don't know anything at all about this sort of strategy uh, no not so much I think I don't know I don't try not to let the outside forces you know impact like you know my internal thoughts it's just you know I put obviously there's a lot of natural pressure from myself just wanting to do well but it's like at the same time I can step back and realize you know I'm just turned 20 I don't need to win the tour of California or I don't need to win you know yeah. some world tour race or I just need to you know, learn so I can be winning these races in, you know, five years when it, when it matters kind of thing. What elements of your life right now are still similar to what a normal 20-year-old's life might be like? Huh? Still hang out with my girlfriend a bit when I'm not riding. Yeah. <laughs> still, still like to eat a lot of food. I still like dessert. <laughs> I think, but yeah, I think other than that, I'm pretty lucky. Most, most of my friends from school are, you know, just grinding through college and stuff and I'm ready racing my bike yeah so that's pretty awesome <laughs> Spencer before we get back to today's show we want to thank Smith manufacturer of some of the best helmets and sunglasses out there for sponsoring this week's episode of the Villainous Podcast. Yeah, that's right, Fred. I have first-hand experience with uh, Smith's products because they are also supporting our coverage of the Epic Rides Mountain Bike Series. So I'm wearing their Attack Max sunglasses as well as the Smith Session helmet. And looking pretty good, I'm not going to lie. I think uh, maybe I'm winning the fashion show when it comes to these bike races that I've been going to. Yeah, they're sharp-looking products, also super functional. The Attack Max sunglasses have the interchangeable lenses that just snap in and snap out. I tell you, I've spent a lot of time monkeying around with interchangeable lenses in my day. Yeah, and I've seen how many finger smudges you get Mm. on your lenses. It's, It's quite a mess. It's not pretty. And these ones look like they're super simple. They totally are. Even a chimpanzee like you can use them, Fred. (laughs) Well, thanks again to Smith for sponsoring this week's episode of the Velen News Podcast. Let's get back to the show. 
Yeah, Brand's a good kid. Um, and, and super strong. Just yeah. like beastly strong. And got a good time trial, and he's not that far off on GC. He's like, uh, what's he, a minute 25 off GC. Uh-huh. I think he's outside shot with a, with a good time trial ride. We'll yeah. see. Yeah. So it was a great stage. I mean, it was a little rough on top. People may not have seen this on the TV, but uh, the accoutrement on top of Gibraltar mm. Road. Yeah. Not uh, It's not tough to get a lot there. of stuff up there. Well, yeah. there's, there's kind of one road to the top. Yep. And that's pretty much it. And there's a bike race going up, so uh-huh. I guess you can understand it. Uh, they had um, some water. Yeah. And they had a little bit of shade. Not a lot of ability to actually watch the race, though. No, not so much. Although, we're going to let, let the uh, listeners b- behind the curtain a little bit here. Yeah. Uh, neither of us saw, like, any of the last yeah. 2K. We heard, we heard Dave told talking about yeah. what was happening and that was kind of it we got shushed away from the tv yeah i couldn't say i was like come on man i have yeah. to ask these writers right. about yeah. stuff you never want to be and you sometimes you have to do it again behind the curtain here sometimes you have to ask a rider hey where'd you finish yeah because i didn't see it which I, is never a good thing you want you know. i always like the question take me through the last three kilometers yeah yeah which sometimes actually means because i have no idea what happened yeah, yeah. 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 please enlighten me for what had gone on yeah um so I thought another interesting part about the climb today was we got to see the remnants of this huge Thomas fire. This is the largest forest fire in California state history burned hundreds of thousands of acres right in this area. And Gibraltar Road climbed right into it. We saw these big scars cut into the foliage where firefighters have been cutting fire lines to try and stop the blaze. We just saw black marks everywhere as we were driving up. You could see where the fire had jumped Highway 101 and gone down to the water and burned structures. And you know, it was a really interesting decision for the MC Tour California to maintain the course on stage two because, you know, they plot out the course months and months ago. And then in December, this huge wildfire roars through. And then in January, these awful mudslides, they call the debris flow now, came down through Montecito and Santa Barbara, killed 21 people, washed away a lot of roads. And the race had to make a bit of a decision. They had to say, do we keep this route? Do we try to do it at a different stage? Are the, do the communities want us back? You know, having a bike race roll through your town, it can be pretty disruptive. You have a yeah. rolling enclosure, street closures, cops everywhere. And um, I spoke with Eric Smith, who is the course director for the MG Tour of California. He's been then been the course director since uh, day one. And he said, you know, they had these discussions with Montecito and these affected communities and everyone like really wanted the race to come through because it was, they wanted a helicopter with TV cameras up top to show that businesses are open, yeah. schools are open, you know, the communities want people to come back in, spend some money. And um, that was their goal of having the race come through. You know, they, they took a new route. They didn't go along this Highway 192 that was really scenic because there's still a bunch of bridges out. I think it went past Oprah's house. Montecito, man. <laughs> Holy cow. Yeah. Like, really upscale, nice stuff. And a lot of these houses got washed away. Instead, they went down through downtown Montecito and kind of twisted and turned around in the neighborhood before heading up Gibraltar. But I think it did mean a lot to, meant, meant a lot to a lot of people to have the race come through today. Um, I talked to a number of them for a story I have up on VeloNews.com about the floods and the mudslides and the impact. And to a T, everyone was saying, you know, yeah, we know it's going to be a little disruptive, but we want the race to come back through. Yeah. So, Dane, what do you expect to see, um, you know, through the through the rest of the week? Yeah, I think uh, the stage, stage three is going to be a little interesting. 
not a lot of people think it's going to have a huge GC impact, but it, it's certainly possible that, you know, if somebody's not on their toes, they get dropped on that steep little finish. It's possible. And then the, the time trial is going to have a big impact on the race. It's long for a stage race of just one week, uh, over 30K. It's flat, so that's going to favor a whole different set of guys than we saw on Gibraltar. And then I think that climb up to Tahoe is going to have a big impact. Uh, it's not a super steep day, but they go from the bottom of the Central Valley to high altitude, basically. So maybe not one specifically awful climb, but it's just a lot of really hard climbing all day. And that's going to definitely have an impact. It's going to take its toll on guys. So Who wins the overall? I'm going with Bernal for now. I think he's strong enough in the time trial, I think. And even if he loses time in the time trial, I mean, he could probably just go out there and snatch a bunch of more time on that Tahoe stage. So that's my, that's my pick for now. Yeah. Yeah, I want to make that pick too. But since you already made it, Dan, yeah, all right, yeah, Who you, you got parked on that you corner. Got? I'm gonna say Micah. I'm gonna say that he was so bummed out last year losing the MGM to California by just a couple of seconds to George Bennett after he seemed to have it wrapped up. Yeah. And he, you know, he lost in the time trial. It was a good time trial, but it was like just not as good as not Bennett. Good enough. So I'm going to say he is so motivated by this heading into the Tour de France that he somehow channels his inner time trial beast and uh, and wins it. How about this? Who wins the sprint stages coming up? It's a great question. Yeah, because that's the thing about this race. I mean, as interesting as the GC battle is, we have badass sprinters here. Yeah, definitely. Uh, to me, it's it's three guys. It's Kittle. Ewan and Gaviria. And we saw two of them go head-to-head on that first stage, Ewan and Gaviria. Gaviria wins out. But I think Kittle is in good shape. I think he kind of got into a little bit of what our friends across the pond like to call argy-bargy with uh, Alexander Kristoff. And so we didn't really get to see his his, his final form. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think we might get to see some of that on stage, uh, stage five and stage seven. So I think Kittle definitely going to do a little bit better in the coming stages. But I don't know, Gaviria's looking pretty fast. Yeah. yeah, I think Gaviria's taking it. Um, Gaviria's looking really fast. So is his quick step lead out train. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're so freaking good at what they do. We saw this on stage one where they played it conservatively in the last 10K and then in the last couple K, you know, Ilio Kaisa is on the front whipping up the pace, Max Ricchese and uh, your man Hodge. Yeah. Definitely looking strong. Uh, led him out, and there was there was Argy Bargy all over the place, and yet still he had like two quick step guys up there for the final yeah, yeah. Uh, final few meters. So I think Gaviria is going to take the uh, the sprint stage. I will say that Peter Sagan, we often think, oh, you know, a bunch of sprints, maybe not his thing, but first of all, he wins them sometimes. Yeah. And second of all, in California in particular, he's had a lot of success even on those kinds of stages. So don't underestimate him just because he's not generally seen as one of those guys. People say, oh, he's not really a sprinter. Yeah, but he's also really good at sprinting. I mean, even if he's not just a pure sprinter, he is really good at it. Can't write him off. So here's the storyline about around Peter Sagan and Mark Cavendish at this year's race. So both Cavendish and Sagan are here. Um, everybody knows about the whole Tour de France incident last year where stage four, Sagan reportedly, you know, people thought he threw an elbow in a cab yeah. who crashed. Yeah. Um, neither one of those guys is talking about that at no. all. Everyone's trying. Like, everyone is trying some way to ask Peter Sagan about yeah. the incident, and he's doing his very Peter Sagan thing and, you know, giving these, like, bizarre answers that are not answers. Yeah, yeah. And then with Cav, you just can't get close to him. And, like, if, if I've heard some, some people that have tried to ask him about it, and he doesn't, you know, yeah, sort yeah. of a, like, grimaces, 
looks like he bit into a lemon mm. and mm -hmm. then uh, does not answer it. Yeah. So if you see Mark Cavendish walking into a local Ralph's convenience store, yeah. or grocery store, in and out, yeah, thinking of other California staples, yeah, <laughs> ask him about the incident, what yeah. he thinks about it, because he really doesn't want to talk no, about it. No, neither one, I think. Yeah. Uh, Dane, who is your pick to win the Rob Britton Memorial Top Domestic GC Rider Award? That's a good question. I think it's gonna be TJ. Yeah, I mean he's up there. Oh wait, TJ. I don't. I don't count him. I'm okay. talking like domestic. You rider. mean like non-world tour kind non of guy? Non-world tour guy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, looking down at the current standings, Brandon McNulty not only is the best placed of those dudes. He's also got a good time trial. Really good time trial. So I think he's got to be the answer. Although there's a couple of other guys kind of up there. You know, maybe Will Barta kind of uh -huh. snuck up there today. Nice ride from from the action kid. You know, Gavin Mannion is kind of there. I think he's a little too far back. So I think McNulty, he's got the inside track on that. Yeah, or, or you know, it also could be Rob Britton, the man who the award yeah. is named after. But I'm with you. I think that uh, Brandon McNulty wins the Rob Britton Award uh, because he's a really good time trialist, and if he can keep it together for that final day, I could see him crack the top ten. Yeah, definitely. Oh, Brandon McNulty. We're gonna someday. We're gonna be like bouncing our kids on our on our uh, knees and telling tell them how we saw Brandon McNulty back when he was just a young back twenty year old. Back when he was just a yeah. young twenty year old before he won nine Tours de France. Yeah. Just kidding. We don't want to put that much pressure. No, on no, him. no. That doesn't usually work out well. Yeah. <laughs> back before he was a good world tour yeah, rider. Yeah. That's all we need to say. Exactly. Yeah. So Dane, let's get on to the other big race going on. There's another race? Yeah. Oh, Boy, right. that Giro d'Italia yeah. really kind of heated up in the last it few did. days. We're recording this on Monday, which was the second rest day at the Giro. But heading into the rest day, we saw two, well, we first of all, we saw Etna. Yeah. And Etna was, you know, interesting. It wasn't super decisive on the GC end. Uh, but then we saw on Sunday, the finish to Gran Sasso d'Italia. And that really was... A little more. A little more decisive. We didn't get to see a lot of it. I yeah. don't know about you, but like my feed was bouncing in and out. Yeah. Um, I went back and watched the replay. It was also cutting in bouncing and out. Bouncing in and out. Mm. So it was, a bit, it was a bit of a bummer. Uh, because what we did see was something we haven't seen in years. And that is Chris Froome getting dropped. Yeah. Holy smokes. Chris Not just... Not Dude. just dropped and then like working his way back yeah. and then passing everybody, which often happens, yeah. but I actually dropped. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we haven't seen that since 2011. Um, the last time, well, we saw it at the, at the Vuelta. We've seen that Vuelta's post-tour win, when it's like, right. it would be nice if I could win the Vuelta, but eh, whatever. Right. I'm just yeah. thinking like the 2011 Vuelta España, when Chris Froome came into our lives, yeah. uh, that second place ride, and since then, this Froome era, we really haven't seen too much weakness from him. So to see him just like popping off the back, and he was popping off the back with like not riders of his no. same level. Yeah, it was a little concerning. What do you what are you chalking this up to? You know, he did crash, and then again, and and then like again. So he's had some issues going down. That can be a problem. It's hard to say whether he was ever on top form for the Giro. You know, there's been some talk of the appearance fee. Always nice to get a couple dollars thrown your way just to go ride a bike race. But I, I don't know. I tend to think he was probably in pretty good shape because he, he really doesn't know whether he's going to 
race the tour at all. I mean, he can't be sure of that. So I kind of think it might be the crashes. Yeah. He seems to think it was the crashes. He definitely thinks it's the crashes. So he gave uh, an interview to journalists today, and he talked a lot about the crashes. And he said that, you know, they didn't look that bad on TV, but they definitely broke the skin, and they've definitely created soreness. And he feels like... He told them that, you know, he feels like they're taking a toll. He said that the wattage that he's putting out on these climbs is actually lower than where he was in training yeah. before the Giro, so that's not good. Yeah. And then the other thing he said, which is, you know, something we don't think about all the time, which is when you crash and you have these little nagging injuries, it's not just about what it's like on the bike. Like, your whole life as a bike racer is impacted. So he said, I've been seeing the team osteopath every evening, went and had an MRI scan done on the right-hand side, so it's been quite time-consuming. Crashing is not just a matter of getting up and keeping going. It's changing the dressing every day. My sleep's been affected. It takes a lot out of you. So, I mean, it is a plausible explanation. Yeah. I mean, the other explanation is just not fit. Yeah, which is possible. Um, but, you know, this whole concept of, like, being so type A and so tuned into your body that when something is even minutely wrong, um, it can affect you and affect your psychology. Like, that, I feel like this is a somewhat plausible answer. Yeah. Did yeah. you see today someone asked him if he was using salbutamol? I did see that, yeah. He was not happy with that no, question. No, he didn't seem to be thrilled to hear about that, yeah. I'm gonna throw this out there though. That, that's a totally fair question. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Although, I mean, I have to say, He's allowed to use it a yep. certain amount. Yep. Thing, and he knows that if he says, yeah, I'm still using it, that all hell's going to break loose. Yeah. So, rocking a hard place, I think. I don't, yeah. Yeah, that's kind of one of those uh, trick you questions. Um, I, I will say, haven't seen any video of him taking a puff. Yeah, I haven't inhaler. seen any puffs. Like, We've seen, we have occasionally seen that on video during a race. It was at Roman D a few years yeah, back. Yeah. So, but not so far the Giro. No, yeah. seems to be keeping that one under wraps. Yeah. yeah. He also seems to be, I feel like, fairly um, diplomatic and understanding with yeah. the comments that he's yeah. made. I mean, it's not a pun intended sky is falling type scenario. Yeah. It yeah. seems to be like a, you know, I'm, I'm not the strongest guy here. That's always been something he's navigated pretty well, I think. I mean, there have been tours de France, I feel like, where he's, he's been diplomatic despite having urine thrown on him. I mean, he's that's something that he tends to do pretty well. That and climb and time trial are things that he tends to do pretty well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, he just maybe doesn't have it so far. So he is over a minute behind, well, well over a minute behind in the GC now. Yeah. Um, he lost a minute on Gran Sasa d'Italia. And, um, you know, as we look into this super hard second week of the Giro that has Monte Zonkelon coming mm, up yeah. Thursday. Yeah. Ouch. It's a tough one. Uh, we see a scenario in which, you know, is it too early? To say that uh, Simon Yates is in the driver's seat? I think yes. Uh, if, if you take a healthy, informed Chris Froome, maybe not with doping suspicions and problems hanging over his head and all that stuff, then I think that rider could, even with a two-and-a-half-minute deficit, win the Giro by five minutes. I mean, I really do think he could do that wow. if he were in that kind of shape. Yeah. Is he? I don't know. Probably not, because it doesn't look so great so far. But if he suddenly gets healthy, I mean, if the scrapes and bruises from his crashes heal and he wakes up on Wednesday or Thursday and says, oh, I'm actually not too bad anymore. I'm starting to feel a little better. Then I think Simon Yates needs to watch out because there's a time trial to come and Yates is going to lose time in that. And beyond all those things, it's, it's not just Froome. I mean, there's other riders there who I think could really pose a threat. 
which is a, a def another problem for Simon Yates to worry about. I think Simon Yates is the strongest guy right now. Um, you know, it's bike racing, so it's the Giro, so, you know, crashes, yeah. snowstorms, uh, boulders tumbling down. Steven Kreuzwick scenarios. Steven Kreuzwick, yeah, like yeah. lightning striking. So yeah. who's to say what'll happen, but Yates to me looks like he's the strongest, and you know, as threatening as Froome is, I think his game plan right now is all about distancing himself from Tom Dumoulin yeah. so that when that final time trial rolls around, he has enough cushion to limit his losses. So he lost 20 seconds to Tom Dumoulin, stage one, nine kilometers. Yeah. The one coming up, I believe, is 34 kilometers. So, I mean, just some basic math, he has to probably get, I don't know, 30 to 40 more seconds to have the minute plus buffer yeah. for Tom Dumoulin. But, you know, that's assuming that he's able to generate that type of power output right. week three of a Grand Tour. Yeah. Like, yeah. we've seen Tom Dumoulin do it. I mean, that's how we won the Giro last year. Yeah, I don't know if we've seen Simon Yates have a pretty good time trial early in a Grand Tour and then have a really great time yeah, later. trial yeah, right. later right. in a Grand Tour. So if I were Simon Yates, that's who I'd be thinking about. And just like any time there's a big climb, it's like, all right, yeah, get rid of Tom Dumoulin. Yeah, I'm actually I'm as worried about Thibaut Pinot as I am about Tom Dumoulin. Yep. There was a time three or four years ago when Thibaut Pinot was a pure climber. Any time the road was not going up, whether it was flat or especially if it was going down, he was having some trouble, and that was not his forte. But he recently got a lot better at going down and got really good at time trialing. Uh, he doesn't suck at time trialing. He's actually pretty good at it. And he's not very far off in the GC, and I think he is going to surprise some people in that time trial. And uh, I think that Simon Yates needs to be worried about him, because unlike Tom Dumoulin, he's actually kind of breathing down Yates' neck in the GC right now. So a couple of guys there. Yeah, and I think the other ones you should think about, um, maybe not worrying about them in the time trial, but yeah. you know, there's a ton of climbing left, and some of these guys that could still battle him on the climbs, Domenico Passavivo, yeah, heck who's yeah. looking so strong. Yeah, yeah. He's not racing particularly smart. I mean, he's like, he's really strong, but especially in Gran Sasso, it's, I felt like he he punched it a little too soon mm -hmm. in yeah. those final kilometers yeah. and he lost a little bit of time. So Passavivo, his own teammate, Esteban Chavez, is That's riding a big one. great. Yeah. And then lowly Giulio Ciccone yeah. on Bardiani, uh, who uh, has been flying off the front uh, on some of these steep climbs, albeit at very strange times that don't seem to be the right ones. But, you know, kudos to the guy for keeping at it. Stage winner yeah. at the Tour of Utah. Oh, so that's we, right. We've seen Chacone do some big things in some of the very biggest races. Yeah. So, you know, watch out for this kid. Yeah. <laughs> you know, as much as, like, Tour of California has the Rob Britton Memorial Top, American, top uh, Domestic GC guy, I feel like the Tour of Utah has to have the, like, yeah, Julio uh, Ciccone yeah, they Memorial get the, Euro stage. They get the Bardiani team to come over there, yeah. and it's like, oh, it's hey, all these domestic American teams, and then Bardiani. Oh, okay, yeah. Well, and it's tough to race at the Tour of Utah if you're a European because it's just like, oh, these wide open roads and these steep climbs at altitude, yeah, and yeah. like, what the heck are you doing? And like, the Americans have such an advantage. So, kudos to you, yeah, Julio, yeah, who Julio Ciccone, um, Dane. We're all going to be watching uh, Monte Zoncalon. I think that that's going to be a topic of discussion for next week's Villa News podcast yeah. because this mountain is scary. It's like 20-something percent. And, uh, you know, I just think my spidey senses. Oh, yeah. 
tell me. That's like the hardest climb that there is. Spidey senses tell me it's gonna have a big shakeup on the old GC. Well, you know, Dane, I think it's jacuzzi time. Might have to. I think we've given the people all the podcasts they need for one uh, one evening, and I, I kind of want to soak in this jacuzzi. That sounds good to me. Well, thanks for tuning in to the Velonies podcast. Not gonna do my usual spiel, but listen to the Brooklyn Boogaloo blowout as they play you out this evening. We'll see you next week.